Now, Father in heaven, as our worship continues, it takes a slight shift from us participating with our voices in song to us participating with our hearts in listening. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. And open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, as we actually continue our series in Mark, believe it or not. Uh, The plan was to kind of stop for the Christmas season, have a break with our normal series in the Gospel of Mark, and focus on Christmas and then continue on, but it just so happens that the two sermons that we're following in the series fit in so perfectly with this idea of Christmas. Uh, The one sermon about who is the son, um, the question about the Messiah, is he David's son, and if he's David's son, how can he be David's Lord? Uh, Whose son is he? And that's a great question for Christmas, isn't it? Because we talk about the baby, and people think, well, it's Mary's son, and Unbelievers will often think, well, there's some man that, uh, of course, produced in union with Mary, this son, so we don't know whose son he is. Maybe the son of a Roman soldier, people will say in unbelief. But we know he is the son of God as well as the son of man. And now today, we go into a section of Scripture I would like to call Christmas giving. Matthew, or excuse me, Mark Chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were placed or put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the treasury temple, or the temple treasury, excuse me. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Let's stop our reading right there. There is a connection here with a previous passage because we read before, verse 38 through 40, about the scribes and how they love to have the best seats at banquets and in the synagogue and how they would devour widows' houses. That is, there were some widows who had wealth but no, more, no longer the protection of their husbands and And these unscrupulous people would go in and seduce them by taking their funds away under the guise of religion with the hope that they would, or the promise that they would be richly blessed if they would generously give. They would devour the wealth of these widows. Now we have another picture of a widow, but this is not someone who has her property taken away from her. This is someone who willingly gives her property away. And she didn't have a lot to be taken advantage of, but she gave in a most amazing way. The contrast is really between the scribes and their selfish ambition and this poor widow and her simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, we often talk about Christmas being a season for giving, right? And it is. 
Unfortunately, it's uh, kind of degenerated into a season for giving to others, merely. And, and it's not wrong to give to others or to give to causes. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not the most important thing, and yet it's become the predominant thing. Now, you and I know that in the season of giving, giving has become a tremendous burden, an irritation, because, oh, I have so many people to give to, and I don't know what to give to them, and I don't have money to give to them, and, and they may not like the gift that I give to them, and who do I give, and who do I don't give to, and the problems just surmount until we often wish that this whole season of giving was gone. The real giving of the season has to be the giving of God, right? And we, in turn, should give like that. But the giving of God is, although the greatest gift that has ever been given, it's the giving of the heart. And that's what is really predominant in the giving of the widow. Let me just mention a few things about this text of Scripture. First of all, notice that Jesus observes are giving. There's a surveillance thing going on here. Jesus had just finished a lot of teaching in the temple, and I suppose he was somewhat wearied, not only by the effort uh, to teach as long as he did, but by the controversy and opposition, because that takes a lot out of a person when you've got to battle with others. And so he went to sit down, maybe to rest, and also to watch. And, and there was a place right by the court of the women near the gate beautiful where alms and gifts were given. Historically, we're told by a Bible scholar like William Barclay that there were actually 13 brass uh, containers shaped like trumpets inverted so that the small part was at the top and the larger part was at the bottom. And these 13 brass containers is what the people would put their coins in. And there was an inscription on each one saying what it was for. But collectively, they were for the sacrifices that were to be given in the temple, and, and they were for the expenses and the upkeep of the temple itself. Sounding very much like the giving that we give today for churches in keeping up of what is going on and in the outreach ministry of the church itself. The city was filled with all kinds of people because it was Passover. And people were coming and dropping the coins in. And it might have been one of the normal pastimes of the season just to sit in a chair and watch. Did you ever think that Jesus was a people watcher? Did you ever go to the mall and sit and watch people? It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? And Jesus did it as well. He just sat there and he watched. But what is a little more, I suppose, specific to us is that he was watching what these people were giving. Now, I don't recommend that for most of us to sit around and watch what people are giving. Jesus is Lord, so he gets a pass. But if you start scrutinizing what other people give in the offering, I tell you, that's a very dangerous thing to do. As a pastor, I don't want to know what anyone is giving 
because that affects relationships and I shouldn't know that. That's between you and the Lord. But he is the Lord. And Proverbs 15.3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding what? The evil and the good. He sees it all. He sees motive behind activity. He sees it all. So Jesus is watching as the people come up to these trumpets and pour in their money. Now notice he mentions the contributions of the rich first. The crowd was putting their money into the temple treasury, and many rich people threw in large amounts. I don't know if the Greek word to throw, to cast, uh, means anything, but it seems uh, a little showy. I mean, we do know this from Matthew chapter 6, don't we? That Jesus warned people, when you give your alms, do it in such a way that it's private. Because it was known that there were some Pharisees who would actually have someone blow a trumpet. And then they would put their offering in the offering box. I had a great idea, but I didn't have the guts to pull it off. I was going to have Glenn Akers play his trumpet while the offering is being taken, and then I was going to get up and come down and kind of show you my gift and put it in the offering plate and wave to you and, you know, come back and sit down. I was just afraid some people might thought I really meant business. I mean, that I was serious and would have no idea that a sermon was coming that would be connected to it, so I decided not to do it. I do know of pastors, though, who will, during the offering, come down and place their offering in the plate, and then the guys go and give the offering. And I know what they're doing. They're trying to tell the congregation, I give too. But I still think that's a lousy thing to do. I can't do it. Now, I do give, but that's all you're going to know. <laughs> I even give online, so it's uh, maybe a little easier because I would forget it on Sunday. Let's not get into all of that. The point is, they would blow a trumpet, and then they would put their offerings in. Can't you imagine some rich guy coming with about five bags of coins pouring them into a brass container. Think that'd make a little noise? Oh, yeah, it did. And they would pour it in, and, you know, it had a helper and a servant, give me the next bag, and pour it in, and people are just ooing and aahing, and it's spilling all over the marble floor, and they're picking it up and putting it in, and let's put another bag in this one and another bag in this one, and Jesus is watching the whole show. By the way, he doesn't rebuke these people because this is what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to give. He's just seeing what's happening. Large amounts being placed in by the rich. You know, public giving provides us with an opportunity for self-promotion. I mean, if we had boxes up here and we said, okay, this is how we're going to give, you just get up and walk down and put it in the box, well, some people might give because people are looking. We want people to know we're giving. It's kind of like the guy who in the midst of a service where they were uh, taking subscriptions and donations for a certain cause, a man stood up and said, I would like to give $100 anonymously. And he sat down. You know. 
Yeah, we'd like to all give anonymously if people would just know. I hope they find out. A lot of us give because we get a tax break. I'm glad we do. But that's what, what's, what motivates the winds of our generosity. Some of us give because people see it. These rich people gave abundantly, large amounts. But now notice the contributions of the poor, in particular, a poor widow. She wasn't rich like the ones that the Pharisees would seduce for her wealth. She put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents, some say, or a fraction of a penny. It's interesting, in my study, I came up with these calculations that uh, a mite, a widow's mite, the smallest of a copper coin, which uh, the word uh, lepton actually means thin because it is the smallest of all coinage. Some say it's worth one-sixteenth of a penny. Others say it's worth one-eighth of a penny. Others say it's worth half of a penny, and that's why one of the new translations says a fraction of a penny, which covers them all. The point is, it's not very much, right? I have two mites that I have purchased. Let me re rephrase that. No, I did. I purchased both of them uh, on our trips to Israel. One is genuine, for sure, because I bought it from an antique dealer who gave me a great deal, <laughs> and it only cost me, I think, $60. It's real, though. It's genuine. It's a lot of money to pay for a fraction of a penny. The other one I bought for $20 at a site, Siloam's Pool, for a guy who said that we just took this out of the ground last week. <laughs> And it's almost in pristine condition. And I felt sorry for the guy, so I just gave him 20 bucks, and he gave me this widow's mite. So I have two of them. I think one is real, and I don't think the other is. And I have them on my desk, and they are a constant reminder of this lady who gave everything she had. You know, maybe she had just been scammed by the guys in verse 40 so that all she had left were two mites. Do you know she could have given one of the mites and still had given a huge gift, 50%? Pretty good, percentage-wise. But she gave it all. It said that the lepton, the mite, was a day's wage. That always differs depending on your job and your person, but... If it was, that was still quite a sacrifice, and she had nothing left over at the end of the day. And imagine the sound that these lepton made when they fell into the brass collection. Tink. Tink. No one heard it. No one was impressed. People probably looked away. The rich gave abundantly, large, major donors. We know their names. The poor widow gave a small amount, sparingly, insignificant 
as it seems. But then as it often happens in the stories that Jesus gives, there is a twist. You talk about a twist in plot. You talk about a redirect in a story and narrative. Here it is. And now Jesus assesses our giving. He observes what we give, but he also assesses. He evaluates our giving. Verse 43, calling disciples, disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. So Jesus evaluates this in quite a different way. I imagine he called his disciples and said, hey, guys, come here. I just saw something amazing. Did you just see that? And they would have said, yeah. That was amazing. That guy poured in five different bags. Couldn't believe it. He must be really rich. Jesus said, no, not the rich guy, the poor widow. Did you see what she did? No, I didn't see that. She gave more than those guys did. And obviously, Jesus was talking about percentage giving, wasn't he? The first point that he's making is it's not the amount, it's the heart. That is important. You have to understand that Jesus doesn't need your money. Then why do you pastors keep asking for it? <laughs> because you need to give. You're the one that's blessed. Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's made everything. Does the one who has created the universe, does he need to depend upon your pawnee gifts which, by the way, you have only because of the graciousness of God himself. The spiritual appraisal, appraisal is not of one's financial status. This spiritual appraisal is of one's generosity index. It's a matter of the heart. By the way, did you notice Jesus said, truly, I say to you, verse 43, Truly, truly. You know what the Greek word is behind that? It's the word, get this, amen. <laughs> amen means that's true. It's used in some different contexts. It, it could mean so be it, or it could mean I agree with it. But in its essence, it's a statement of verification. That's true. That's true. And so Jesus sometimes would say, Truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, and he does this 13 times in the Gospel of Mark, I'm about ready to say something that is proverbial. I'm about ready to give you a maxim for life. I want you to take to heart what I'm about to say and never forget it. This is a true statement indeed. The widow gave more. The poor gives more when they give a greater percentage. Heaven's calculations are much different than Wall Street's. You say, you know, I don't have a lot of money to give. That's not the issue. The issue is, where's your heart? For where your heart is, that's where your treasure will go. 
And that's why anyone can look at your checkbook and determine what you really love. You say, I do not love my utility company. Well, beyond that. We're talking about the giving that is determined at will, that is not forced. Look at your checkbook, and we can tell what you love. So it's a matter of the heart. And notice, secondly, as Jesus appraises and evaluates our giving, he says it's not the amount, it's the cost. It's the sacrifice. The rich gave but still had tremendous surplus to live on. It barely put a dent in their funds when they put in large amounts, but the poor widow gave and had nothing left over. The rich gave a slice of their abundance. She gave out of her poverty. The rich were partly in. The poor. She was what we might say, all in. I'm all in. I was watching a TV movie recently that has, was kind of a Christmas romantic you know, TV, one of those Hallmark sappy, cheesy things that you watch during this time of the year. Nothing else better to do, I guess. <clears throat> and the guy says to the girl, after all kinds of conflict, and you knew how it was going to end, he said, I'm all in. I'm all in. And that phrase caught me. Do we ever say to Jesus, not in a sappy way, but in a real way, Jesus, I'm all in then show it. Our lives will show it. She was living out the Shema. As it says in the book of Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and with all your possessions. Love God with all you've got. There is one God and we are to love him with everything. That's the sheen. So this widow gives to us a basic pattern for Christmas giving, or we might even say for godly giving. In fact, let me give you uh, three important points for godly giving that really come out of this amazing text. Number one, godly giving simply says we should give. We should give. It's not an if. It's not a question of how much even first. It's a question of give. We're commanded in the Old Testament to tithe, right? We're commanded in the New Testament to give by grace giving. There are two wonderful chapters in the book of Corinthians that talk about how God has blessed us and prospered us so much and we first, according to 2 Corinthians 8, must give of ourselves. And then we give based on a proportion of what God has given to us. But it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, so let each one give as he determines in his heart. That's godly giving. And that's how we are to give. God gave to us, didn't he? 
Think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aren't you glad that God is a giving God? He didn't have to give. It was a free will offering. He alone determined that he would give. And that's why we say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of Christmas. So our God's a giving God, and he's laid down the pattern of godly giving. And it starts simply with a determination to give. God's not dependent upon our gifts. We cannot add to his riches. But we have the privilege of joining him and partnering with him as we give. And whatever we give is a gift merely that he has first given to us. We don't, he doesn't need our money, but we need to give. And I wonder if you have purposed in your heart to give. That's what the godly do. And by the way, the blessings that come back to you from doing this are amazing. Listen to Proverbs eleven, twenty-five. A generous person will prosper. He who refuses others, or he who refreshes others, excuse me, will be refreshed himself. Or listen to this, Proverbs 22. A generous person himself will be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Are you a generous person? That's the first part of godly giving. Acts 20, verse 35. Paul said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. may be a sign of great decadence in the church of the 21st century and a great failure of Christianity that we have to spend all our time coaxing people to give. When God says, determine in your heart to give. By the way, let me pause just for a moment to say something about the giving at South Church. Some people have asked me about this. South Church is an amazingly generous church in its giving. However, I suppose if you were to average the giving, and we don't know exactly how to do this, but if you take the average income of people in our area and take the average number of families and do the calculations, our giving comes out to maybe 5% per family unit, which is higher than the average of 2% but lower than what appears to be the standard of biblical tithing even, or wherever grace giving might appear. Uh, you may look at our giving figures, and some of you, someone said to me, boy, I've never seen our giving so poor. Well, it's not really as poor as you think. There's absolutely no need for panic. And let me mention a couple things. We have, over the years, received a, a substantial gift uh, from a generous donor, and that particular diff, gift hasn't come in yet, but another gift, unexpected, came in even larger than that that was put against the mortgage so that we were able to totally pay the mortgage on this facility right here. 
That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, we still have a little bit of a mortgage left on the chapel. I think in, in the whole structure, what are we? Uh, I can't add it up too much in my mind. 13 million, and we're down to about a million six or so. Praise the Lord for that. And because of that mortgage being paid here, we are actually going to save about $120,000 this year on our budget because of that great gift. That almost wipes out the deficit that we're talking about. And so in one sense, the giving is really not a whole lot different than it was last year. But what we do need to understand is that if the work of God is going to continue to go forward, we need to be a generous people. So on the one hand, let me say, don't panic. Things are better than they might appear just by looking at some of the stats, but by the same token, don't give up. Sometimes God takes people away who indeed were generous to the cause. They pass on. They move on. And who is going to step in? God's given us all the resources we need. We just need to be faithful and to be generous. So godly giving starts off, first of all, just with this idea of giving. Secondly, from the text, godly giving understands this principle. Whatever we give, Jesus sees. He sees whatever you give, right? He knows. Well, I hope the pastor doesn't see you this. I hope the people next to me don't see me putting in a dollar. Don't worry about that. You give to God, give to please him. And thirdly, giving is measured not by cost, or by, excuse me, giving is measured by cost, not by amount. Not by amount, but cost. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give all my goods to feed the poor and I give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me what? Useless gift. Useless gift. I get no benefit from it. Think about it. With a large gift and a donation to a Christian organization, maybe a new organization is founded that struggles financially to survive and ends up in bankruptcy. And the large gift seems wasted. But on the other hand, a small gift may be given, maybe enough just to purchase a Gideon's New Testament. And that New Testament is given to a soul that is one to Christ, who later goes out to win all kinds of people for Christ, or maybe, from a financial sense, giving much to the cause of God. You see, we can't determine what God is going to do, and little is much when God is in it. It's your heart. Now, if God has blessed you with a lot and you say, it doesn't matter the amount, God is blessed with a little, <laughs> I don't think you read what we just read. Because giving is measured by the cost. Imagine if we had a church of sacrificial givers. I'm not saying you have to give everything you have. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that real giving is sacrificial. And it's not the amount that matters, but the cost and the heart behind it. 
It's not the size, it's the sacrifice. And did you know that this was the very last message that Jesus gave in the temple to those who were opposing him and even to his followers? Be extravagant with your giving. Identify with the nobodies. God gave the greatest gift of all and our giving to be Christ-like needs to focus on the cost. I did an interesting internet search because I'm impressed with the gifts that some people have gave. And there was an interesting article entitled The 20 Most Generous People in the World. Who do you think they are? You probably know that Bill Gates is number one. Bill and Melinda Gates in their lifetime, lifetime have donated 27 million, billion, excuse me, 27 billion dollars. Wow. Head of Microsoft. Warren Buffett, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway in the financial realm is rated at number two. He, in his lifetime, has donated 21.5 billion dollars. These people need to be applauded. Not that I agree with everything they give to, but that's amazing. Mark Zuckerberg, Google fame, a younger billionaire. He hasn't yet caught up. He has given away, or see Facebook, whatever. 1.6 billion. Here's what's interesting about the article. The article was done by a group called Wealth X, and they not only wanted to see who gave the most, but they were factoring in what they call the generosity index, which means the generosity index is the ratio of your lifetime donations compared to your current net worth, okay? What you've given over a lifetime compared to what you hold right now. So, Bill Gates gave 27 billion, his generosity index is 32%. Warren Buffett, 35%. Even better, even though he gave less. Mark Zuckerberg, 4%. Cheapy. <laughs> Only gave 1.6 billion. Here's the shocker of it all. A guy by the name of Charles Feeney, Retail magnet. He's number five on the list as far as how much he has given. His generosity index, well, he's given over his lifetime $6.3 billion. His generosity index, remember the first was 32, Gates, Buffett was 35, Zuckerberg, four, Feeney, 420,000. which means he's given 6.3 billion, and that's 420,000 times what he currently is worth, because he's only worth a little over a million dollars now. Now, I have to tell you that I had, if I had $27 billion, I'd give away a few billion, sure. I've got a few billion left. But what is your generosity index? 
That's the question. What kind of percentage giver are you? And does God see you like the wealthy coming in with all the show or the poor giving whom no one knows except God in heaven who sees what you give and is pleased with a sacrificial heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in all of our giving, may we be Christ-like and find that the real blessing comes in giving with a loving heart to a God who's given his all to us. In Jesus' name, amen.